Open your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 55. There are two verses I want us to look at in that chapter in just a few moments. But while you're finding that, let me say that when I was a kid, 10, 11, 12 years old, one of my heroes was a football player named Herschel Walker. You've heard of him, right? Herschel Walker grew up in Johnson County, Georgia, went to Wrightsville High School. He was the valedictorian of his class. And when he graduated high school, he, of course, recruited by the University of Georgia. And as a true freshman, he began his college career. Well, in the fall of 1980, our family still lived in East Tennessee. And we had season tickets to watch the Tennessee Volunteers play on Saturdays. And so it was the first game of the season, if I have this correct. And we had gone to Knoxville to watch Tennessee versus Georgia. Now, those are two of my, two, I guess, my two favorite teams. I was born in Georgia. I grew up in Tennessee. And so I love both teams, but I put Tennessee slightly above Georgia just because I've been to so many games there. Well, at halftime, the University of Tennessee was beating Georgia 15 to nothing. And so we're feeling pretty good about this. You know, we, we're going to have a good year. Well, at the half, the Georgia coach, Vince Dooley, made a change. And he said that he was going to bring in this true freshman running back that none of us had ever heard of named Herschel Walker. And so the third quarter started, and here's this number 34 that comes out into the game, and we didn't think much about it until on one of his first plays, he had the ball, he's running towards the end zone, and Tennessee had a defensive back named Bill Bates. And I'm, I mean, this, you have to be, go back a little bit in football to know some of these names. He went on to play for the Dallas Cowboys, a great athlete. Bill Bates was probably the best player on the University of Tennessee at that time. And when Bill Bates came to tackle Herschel Walker, thinking, I'm fixing to flip this freshman that away, Herschel Walker just pancaked, steamrolled Bill Bates right straight into the end zone. And Georgia came back and won that game 16-15. to 15. Went on to win the national championship. They beat Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl. That was in 1980. In 1982, Herschel won the Heisman Trophy. And just, I believe, I don't know I'm prejudiced, but I believe he's the greatest college athlete of all time. He did well in the NFL, but not as well as he had done in college. Now, at that time in my life, I was in 6th, 7th, 8th grade. I was starting to play ball in school and starting to lift weights and wanting to be, I wanted to emulate Herschel Walker. And I had even noticed when he played on, on the game, in the games, when he was going back to the huddle, he would do his shoulder a certain way. And so when I started playing, I did that too. <laughs> but it never did work for me like it did for Herschel. But anyway, I remember my grandfather, my dad's dad, saying to me, he said, John, you like Herschel Walker, don't you? I said, I love him. He's unbelievable. Can't be stopped. He said, you want to be like him, don't you? I said, I do. He said, have you heard about his training program? I said, I, I assume he lifts weights. My granddad said, he never lifts weights, never picks up a weight. And this was a true story. He said, Herschel does three things every day for his strength training. Number one, he does push-ups, and he does a lot of push-ups. Herschel at that time did between 750 and 2,000 push-ups a day. In addition to that, he did 2,000 sit-ups a day. And then he would go, they lived on a farm there in Georgia, and he would go run up the hill in, the, in, that, in that hot sun, and that was his training program. And my grandfather had read about this, and you can go home tonight and Google it, and you'll find that he was t telling me the truth. He said the way Herschel does his push-ups and sit-ups is that when he's watching TV at, with his family in the evenings, anytime there's a commercial, 
he jumps down on the ground, and he does push-ups until the commercials are over. Then he goes back, and he will. And so my granddad said, my grandfather is the only person in my life that ever called me Jonathan. Always. He said, Jonathan, if you want to be like Herschel, what you've got to start doing is push-ups. He said, now here's what you need to do. He said, today you need to start your push-up regiment. And you need to do 10 sets of one push-up. He said, you get down on the floor and do a push-up, can't you? I said, no problem. He said, get out and do it. And I did. He said, now do that 10 different times during the day. When you're watching TV tonight, get out on the ground, just do one push-up, do it 10 times. He said, tomorrow you add a number to it. And you do two push-ups 10 times. That'll be 20 push-ups. He said, if you will keep adding a number every day to that, at the end of the year, you will be able to do 365 push-ups without stopping. Now, that sounds logical, right? But it's wrong. I want to tell you it's wrong. <laughs> because somewhere up around 80, it just played out for me. I, I got up to 80. But he said, John, it's not logical. Now, this was the same grandfather who, here was his logic on that. He said, John, you know a little bit about cows. He said, y'all living out in East Texas now. And he said, if a baby calf is born, that calf's going to weigh about 50 or 60 pounds. He said, Jonathan, can you pick up 50 or 60 pounds? I said, you better believe I can pick up 50 or 60. He said, if you went out there on that farm and picked up a baby calf right after and picked that calf up and set it over the fence, he said, if you would do that with that calf every day, when that calf is fully grown, you could go pick a full-grown cow up and put it over the fence. <laughs> that was his logic. And, of course, you know, a cow grows to be about 1,500, 1,800 pounds, maybe 2,000 pounds. But his logic was, if you just add one push-up a day, you'll never meet resistance. If that cow's never going to gain enough weight in a 24-hour period that would prevent you from doing that. It seemed logical, but I'm telling you, it was wrong. And so many times in life, we have something like that. We look at a situation, and we say, this just seems logical. But we get into it, and we say, it's logical, but it's wrong. Now, while that is true, there's another side to the coin. Sometimes in life, something will seem illogical. In other words, you hear something, you read something, you think something. And you say to yourself, well, that is illogical. And yet, even though it is illogical... It's actually true. It's actually right. And it actually works. Now, in Isaiah chapter 55, the title of the message today is, Is God Against Logic? And I would answer that question this way. No, He's not. God's not against logic, but God is above logic. It's not illogical to follow God. It's not at all. We not, when we follow God, you're not walking into the dark. You're stepping into the light. So God is not against logic. But God is above logic, and this is what we read in Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9. This is what Jimmy was singing about. God said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Say that with me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so God's not against logic. God is above logic. What does that mean? It means that sometimes God tells us to do something. And it seems illogical. It seems like if we do that thing, there's no way that it will work. And yet, when we do that thing, we find out 
you know what? It did work. It's not that God is against logic. It's that God is above logic. Now, when you read your Bible, and I could illustrate this in so many ways, and I think I will, as much as I have time for. But you read things in the Scriptures, and when you first read them, you say, that's just not logical. It ju- there's no way that that adds up. It just doesn't make sense. Now, there's a lot of verses coming to mind. Turn back a few pages to Psalm 127. I'll just show you. I'll, we'll start here. Psalm 127. And I, I want us to think, first of all, about time. In the Bible, God gives us some principles about time. And when we read these principles, we think, well, that's illogical. That doesn't make sense. There's no way that would work. And yet, when we do it, it is right and it is true. In Psalm 127, look in verse 2. Now listen to what God says. God says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Now, if you have a job or if you have a project to do tomorrow, logic says if you get up early... And first time, as soon as you get up, you get on that project, you get on that task, you get on that job, and you stay on that job all day long, don't take much time to eat, work in, after your evening meal, keep working, work until you go to bed at night. If you'll work from early morning until late at night, you will get a lot done on that project. Now, this verse says that that strategy is wrong. That, in fact, it says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. And so this verse is saying to us, when you wake up tomorrow, if you have a project to do, first of all, if you say, I've got so much to do, I'm going to wake up at four in the morning so I get an early start on this project. This verse is saying, you would be better to sleep till six or maybe until seven or whatever time so that when you wake up, you're rested And then instead of working till 11 or 12 o'clock at night, have a time where you stop that. Also in the Bible, when it talks about time, it's not just saying that we should go on four and five hours of sleep and so we can get all this done. God says that's vain, that's futile, that will not work. God also teaches in the Bible that part of our time each day should be spent alone with Him in prayer. And so when you wake up tomorrow and say, man, I've got so much to do. This project is so big. I don't have time to pray. I'm going to skip my praying. I'm going to skip my Bible reading. I'm going to start my project, and I'm going to work all day. Now, watch what you've done. You have neglected your sleep, and you have neglected your time with God. And I'll guarantee you, when you go to bed tomorrow night, you will not have accomplished as much as you would have had you slept, got your proper sleep. I'm not saying sleep till noon, but sleep till your body's rested. Get up, spend some time with God, and if you'll do that and then work, at the end of the day, you will have accomplished more. Now, see, we hear, we hear that, you hear that, and you say, well, that's just not logical. It, it doesn't make sense that I could work eight hours or nine hours a day and accomplish more than I could if I worked 12 or 14 or 16 hours in a day. And yet that is exactly what God's Word teaches. See, God's not against logic. God's above logic. And God says, I can see from your perspective how you think if you just work, 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 you're going to accomplish more. But God says, no, you're going to accomplish less. Because, first of all, you will be not rested. And second of all, you will not have been with me. You will not have made an investment of your time into me. 
So that as you go through this day, God says, I will not be able to make that time up to you. I see this so many times happening in my own life. I wake up on a particular day and I think, just like you do, I have, v, I have X, Y, and Z. I have all these things I need to do today. And so sometimes I think, well, the smart thing for me to do would just be to jump on the project and get going. But if I'm rested and if I spend that time with God first, I've just noticed. I notice it during my preaching and I notice it during my writing, especially in those two things. If I am going by God's principles, then when it's time to preach or it's time to write something or it's time to speak at something, I'm just better than I would have been had I neglected what God said to do to get on with that. Last week, uh, Dr. Ed Young at Second Baptist, his wife, Jo Beth, passed away. And some of you may know that Joe Beth's brother, Barry Landrum, used to pastor our church back in the 1980s. And he left here and went to Second Houston to work with his brother-in-law, Dr. Young, and they did for several years work together. Well, anyway, Miss Young passed away. And I got a text last Tuesday. It, the funeral's on Thursday. I got a text Thursday night and from a friend of mine who had gone to the service, and she said, John, it was the most wonderful service. It was a tribute to, her, to Joe Beth. It was a tribute to the Lord. It was a wonderful experience. Well, I did not go to the service, but I, when I got that text, I pulled it up on my phone. They had recorded it, put it on Facebook, and you could watch the service, and I did. It was an hour and 22-minute service, and it was wonderful. All three sons spoke. I have deep respect for that family. Dr. Young at the end, he didn't preach a sermon, but he got up and said some words. It was wonderful. The choir and the orchestra, the music was wonderful. And it was so very good. Ben, who is their middle child, all three sons got up and they just told stories about their mom. And on, when it was Ben's time to speak, he was telling stories. And one of the things he said that he admired most about his mother, he said, you know, my mom, yes, she was a pastor's wife. Yes, she did things at the church. But the most important thing about her was her own relationship with God. And she, he said she was very serious about that. And she, he said every morning her routine was to get up, and I'm sure Dr. Young does the same thing, go make a cup of coffee and sit in a special chair. And she said the dog would sit up on her shoulder or up on the top of that chair. And she would spend her time in the morning, part of her morning, having her quiet time, reading her Bible and praying. And as Ben was telling that story, he quoted somebody who had said, and this is a tremendous quote. He said, you know, and I don't even think he, he quoted who it was. But somebody one time said, if you win the morning, you win the day. If you win the morning, you win the day. And he said, I believe the reason my mother was such a good pastor's wife, such a good Christian, such a blessing to our church was... She consistently won the morning. And as she gave that time to God in the morning, God gave her, God made that up to her all through the day. And so, is that logical? No, it's above logic. But remember this, God designed time. The principles of time were designed by God. God doesn't live in the realm of time. God lives above time. And so, when we apply His principles, He always honors us. So, this thing about God being above logic, it works with time. It also works with money. You know, it says in the Bible, in fact, let's go to the New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 7. Or it's a very, Luke chapter 6. It's a very familiar verse. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. 
Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you give, it will be measured back to you. So God says if you give, you're going to receive even more than you have given. Is that logical? No, it's not logical. But it's not against logic, it's above logic. You see, God, the same God who designed time owns everything. So we could say all the money is God's. And so God's giving us a financial principle. And God says, I know this doesn't make sense, but if you will give away part of what God has given you, you're going to end up receiving more. You know, the, the obvious application of that in our churches is tithing. Wherever you go to church, we should all tithe. If you make $100 a week, when you go to your church on Sunday, you should give God $10. If you make $1,000 a week, you should give God $100. If you make $10,000 a week, you should give God $1,000 and take me to lunch. If you're making that kind of money, that's a lot of money a week. That's about half a million dollars a year, I guess, if you made that kind of money. But the principle in the Bible is, there are all kinds of verses about that. God said in the Old Testament, if you will tithe, then God said, I will open the windows of heaven... And I will give you so much that you won't be able to handle it. What is God saying? God is saying, I know this seems illogical. It's not illogical. It's above logic. But God is saying, if you want to have more money, give what you have, some of it away. First of all, give, the, give God and the church 10%. And then not only that, give to other people. We have a lady in our church who's a widow. She's a sweet, sweet lady. And and uh, lost her husband several years ago, and she was telling me that during this Hurricane Harvey cleanup, that she really wanted to work in our distribution center, but her, she, she has a job, and her work schedule would not really allow her to do that. But she said, I just wanted to do something to help people who had lost so much. And she didn't know what to do. And so finally, she just decided that she would go to the store and buy some supplies. I guess she bought clothes, maybe some food, maybe shoes. I don't know what all she bought. And she brought it to the gym, to the distribution center, and she gave it to the people and said, y'all just can give that away to, to whoever needs it. And she told me that she had spent $600 doing that, which is a lot of money. And she said, but John, the reason I'm telling you this, she said, I spent $600, which, was, which is significant. She said, but when I got home that night from having taken that money or those gifts to the church, I opened my mailbox and I received a check from somebody. I had no idea this check was coming. And she says it wasn't for 600 I can't remember if it was for two or 300 somewhere in there. And then she said a night or two later I went home and I went to the mailbox and I received another check that I was totally not expecting. And she said, I don't remember what it was. At the time she was telling me this story, she said, you know, John, God is so good to me. She said, I gave away 600 and she said, God's already given me back an unexpected 400 And I imagine if she were here today and we could ask her, she would say, now it's gone over 600 Or even if it's not over the six. You know, sometimes God honors and blesses us, and it may not even be with the money. It may be with some other area of our life. But I, I guarantee you that what she is saying is so biblical. She gave away $600, and then she starts receiving things. But that's what Jesus said, give. And it shall be given to you. Now, it's not logical, but it's not against logic. That line of reasoning is above logic. I think I told you a story. I can never remember if I tell them on what service. But play like you've never heard it and play interested. <laughs> play excited. One night, my dad and I were at a restaurant. And uh, we saw a minister from, at another church in Pasadena. 
And I went, I had to go to the restroom, wash my hands, get ready for the meal. And while I was over there, I saw him and his wife and spoke to him. And, and he said, I said, it's so good to see y'all. He said, John, it's good to see you. And I said, well, my dad and I are eating tonight. And I hope y'all have a good meal. I never like to bother anybody during, while they're eating, but I did speak to him. And uh, he said, well, we're here tonight celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. I said, man, that's awesome, 50 years. I said, happy anniversary. So I went and sat down and told my dad. I said, hey, I told him that story. He said, you know what we ought to do, John? We ought to buy their meal. And we were at Cullen's that night. And, and uh, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and uh, he said, that's going to be about $50 each. I said, that'd be all right. I, I said, those are good people. We, we both felt that it was the right thing to do. And so we gave them $50 each. And at the end of our meal, we dropped it off. We didn't interrupt them, but we gave them that. And we just walked, walked out. Well, I went home and put all my stuff up, and I went out to the mailbox to get my mail, and I was going through my mail when I got in, and I had a letter from a relative in Georgia, and in the letter, there was a check for $50, exactly what I'd given away. I thought, isn't this just, I mean, really, that's just like God, and I knew that was from God. And when my, when it was my great uncle, when he wrote that check, I had not even known I was going to give away 50, but God knew. I mean, God had the money coming before I ever gave it away. I was so encouraged by it. I just thought, isn't that just, I was more encouraged by the fact that that message was from God, even than I was the $50. I called my dad. I said, I told him, I said, you're not going to believe it. I went to the mailbox. I got $50 from Parks. I said, it's just amazing. He said, I got to go. I said, where are you going? He said, check my mailbox. <laughs> He called me back. He said, man, I didn't get anything tonight in the mail. <laughs> That's been several years ago. I guarantee you, if you ask my dad now, he would say, you know what? I didn't get a check from Parks on that deal, but God's made that up to me many, many times over. Not just financially, but in other ways. So what I'm saying, and I had other, way, other ways I was going to give examples today, and maybe on another sermon we'll talk about things in the Bible that appear illogical. They're not illogical. They're above logic. And what God is saying, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And if you'll do what I tell you to do, even though it doesn't make sense to you, it's not going to be like those 365 push-ups that John tried. Or it's not going to be like picking that calf up, that cow, and put it over that fence. That appeared logical, but it didn't work. God says, I'm going to tell you some things that appear illogical, but they will work if you will obey. Amen? And so, Father, today, help us to remember, when we read something in the Bible that appears illogical, help us to remember, if you said it, it's really not against logic, it's just above logic. And help us to go with you. Bless us today, guide us, keep us healthy, and keep us safe, is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said,